Welcome into the Fog.net podcast, back after one week off and yeah, with a lot of news to get to, a lot of things to talk about. Today's podcast is going to be themed to talk a little bit about Big 12 Media Days, the KU football team, where everything is at, uh, headed into the week. Scott Chasen here, Kansas247sports.com, alongside Michael Swain, as always. But first, we're going to get to some basketball recruiting. It's the evaluation period. It is open right now. Coaches are... Uh, watching some of the most talented youngsters in the country. And, and most recently, some of those coaches have flocked to Lawrence. We've seen uh, Oregon head coach Dana Altman, Kansas State head coach Bruce Weber, Curtis Townsend of Kansas and assistant Conzo uh, Martin, and, and I guess Matt Painter too. Uh, all in Lawrence, checking out the Hardwood Classic, a couple of uh, some pretty solid recruits in action. And Swain, I know you were there too. So before we get into some of the football stuff, let's hit this basketball recruiting right off the top. What were maybe some of your takeaways from the uh, from the weekend of weekend plus of basketball? Well, I think the first thing for me is and Folly Dante or Dante. He was the five star recruit, plays for Mocan, a AAU team out of Kansas City. I was for him. I was really just struck at how big he was and how aggressive and dominant and bulldoggy he is. Just looking at him play and the way he interacts with the opposing players, I was really just surprised with you know, how aggressive he is. And he didn't exactly like play the best, but I think his attitude was pretty surprising for me. By the time you're listening to this, our, uh, or, or at least my breakdown from the weekend should probably be out on our site. I think it's coming out at 8 a.m. Uh, Monday, just about. And Folly Dante, Malik Hall, two of Mokan's, r- really Mokan's two top players, mm-hmm. uh, and just how they looked. And I, I do agree. I think in Folly Dante is such an interesting player because – uh, and he would admit this too, you know, in talking to him over the last couple months, he, he's very, he's very raw basketball, but he's also very raw at just like being a student and being in America. He talked about wanting to learn English better before he really focuses in on his recruitment. And, you know, I asked him straight up about some of the schools recruiting him. And he told me, quite frankly, I don't talk to coaches. I don't, I don't know what's going on with my own recruitment. And this is a five-star uh, top 10 recruit in the class of 2020 uh, and like Swain mentioned, a big dude, I think he's listed at 6'11", good wingspan, uh, good length, good athleticism, runs the floor, I mean, really well. Uh, I think the KU staff would very much like to add him on the class of 2020. You know, he's good friends with Sheck Diallo. He told us that. He called him his cousin, and but I think it was more like cousin in terms of like being friends rather than even though they're both from Mali. Um, but they've known each other. They, they're both um, – not completely similar players because I think it Folly Dante in some ways might even be, might even have a little bit more polish than Diallo might've had at the same point. But uh, I think they, you know, obviously Diallo was a great recruit and for Dante, a guy who's, who's friends with him, I, I think he's following in those footsteps. Malik Hall was another name who uh, he, he impressed me at this event because I've seen him in the past and he has been okay. He's been versatile. He He's shown, why he's a four-star recruit, why so many schools are interested in him. But we haven't seen him turn it up another level like he did in this this event. And I think the reason why is kind of obvious. Uh, When coaches can get out and see kids, these kids are going to – it's not even try harder. It's not like they're not trying or they don't want to win when the coaches aren't there. But it's just like you you find another gear. You have that incentive. Maybe you, you get a little bit more nervous before the game. You know, your adrenaline's going a little bit more. Dana Altman flew all the way from Oregon to watch me and my teammate. You know, 
So I, I think seeing Malik Hall really turn it up another, to another level, uh, that, that was a big takeaway for me because, you know, he's a kid Kansas is in on. He's not, you know, going to be your number one priority recruit, quite frankly, because Kansas will have a lot of wings returning and there are bigger needs. For example, KU could be losing its top three, maybe even four big men, depending on how the season goes. Uh, and so that that's a huge area of need, and, and I think we've seen that. Self has been out to see guys like uh, I think today was with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Matthew Hurt is another one he's been watching. Jarence Howard has been watching Matthew Hurt. I believe three different KU coaches have actually gone and seen Hurt over the weekend. So uh, very clearly KU putting the full-court press on in the recruitment of those guys. But then you do have those wings like Chandler Lawson, Samuel Williamson, uh, and Malik Hall. And so getting the chance to watch him up close – uh, and, and play against some pretty good players. I thought that was pretty interesting. What what did you kind of think of Hall's game over the weekend? The first thing that stood out to me was just the eye test. In the first game I watched him play, I, it was pretty clear to me at least that he was the best player on the floor. The way that he carries himself and talks to the teammates and interacts with them, uh, that really stood out to me. But I think more so just his game in general. He does need to work on his shot. This weekend he didn't shoot the ball incredibly well, but he's a willing passer. He's pretty athletic. He looked like he can defend one through three, four, maybe. He's got some meat on his bones too. But I think that really for him to get to the level where KU would be, you know, really wanting him, he needs to improve that shot, I feel like. Well, I definitely agree with you. And, and, you know, he has shown at times that he can make it. He didn't, you're you're right, in, in Lawrence. And he didn't the last time he was in Lawrence either. I think back to maybe the NBA PA camp or the NBA PA uh, camp, the top 100 camp, where I think he shot it pretty well out there. But, you know, at, at the same time, it, it's kind of spot on because if you think about what Kansas has, has had on the wings and what Kansas likes on the wings, uh, it's guys like, you know, Svi Mikhailuk obviously stands out. Uh, LeGerald Vick was a close to 40% uh, three-point shooter. He might have been a, a 40% three-point shooter as a sophomore. Um, you, you think of even guys like uh, Brandon Green or like Connor Frankamp, guys who obviously departed the program, but these guys came to Kansas with the goal being like, they're going to be able to shoot, and then you can kind of build around their games and see what they're going to do. Obviously, Svi was a very versatile player uh, overseas and in, at the international level, but when he came to KU, KU had people who could handle the ball. They had point guards, they had Frank Mason, they had Devontae Graham. You don't need Svi doing that. So what do you need him to do? You need him to shoot. And and I think I think your point there is good with Malik Hall because – I think he's a really talented guy. I know Oregon is really putting the full court press on him. Uh, Purdue is really going after him. There are a bunch of schools, maybe even talking to him a little bit more than a place like Kansas. But again, if if you're a Kansas basketball fan, you want to understand the pecking order and and kind of the level of priority that go with certain recruits. And if guys were to fall through in the class or things were to change, yeah, you could see Malik Hall being a really big priority in the class. But at the same time, you know, if K.J. Lawson is back next year, he's kind of a 3-4 guy. Marcus Garrett is going to be back. He's kind of a three-man who has honestly played a little bit of a, you know, of the four. It all just depends on who you have on your roster, who you have on the wings. And let's say Matthew Hurt was there. He's another wing who plays power forward. He'll be a wing in the NBA. He's a college power forward. But so that's kind of where you get into that trickiness with Hall and maybe why, like, certain schools are able to show more interest than a school like Kansas. Because honestly, if Kansas showed that interest to everybody, you know, that top interest, they'd, ha- they'd end up with, you know, 90 commits in each class because, you know, that, that's, you know, how, how many kids want to go to Kansas. So, um, 
yeah, I think those were some solid takeaways. Uh, Mocan won the event, both the top level and kind of the junior level. Both their squads did. Uh, we'll have a bunch of stuff coming uh, from that this week. Any other takeaways from the Hardwood Classic before we move on? No, not really. I thought it was just interesting getting to see Joseph Girard, uh, who you had talked to briefly. Uh, he averaged 50 points in high school, and just getting to see someone that can score the ball like that. He didn't necessarily shoot the ball all that well over the weekend because teams are really trying to mitigate what he can do. But I thought it was still pretty cool to see him, even just for the couple glimpses that he was uh, playing well. Yeah, and and I think if Isaiah Stewart was a guy who was listed on like the the expected list of attendees, but if if he were to show up, you might have seen you know a guy like Joe Girard get a lot more loose and get a lot more open looks, given that Isaiah Stewart's a five star you know, prospect, although he's obviously cut KU from his list. So I don't think the KU coaches will be too mad about him not being there. But but no, uh, I think Joe Girard is a fun guy. We saw him hit, I think, four or five threes in, in that championship game. And and I think he also won the three-point shootout there. I, I did chat with him and, you know, he, he we talked about Quentin Grimes a little bit. That'll be coming in an update uh, on our site at some point. But uh, he was kind of a fun guy to watch, did average 50 points. He told me he thinks he's a better passer than he gets credit for, which uh, it might be true, but when you're averaging 50 points a game, I, I, it's, it's a hard sell uh, to sell yourself as a passer and as a uh, as a ball handler. But no, he's a guy who can shoot off the dribble and uh, uh, can basically get a shot whenever he wants it, and that that was really fun to watch. So uh, let, let's get into some Big 12 Media Day topics. Obviously, this was about a week ago. Um, a, a lot happened. I mean, David Beatty delivered his press conference. That had a bunch of news in it. Speaks again, had some more news in it, and then afterwards we get 90 minutes with players and coaches, and the players of Big 12 Media Day were seniors, uh, Joe Deneen, Daniel Wise, a junior in Khalil Herbert, and a senior in uh, Steven Sims Jr. on the offensive side. So um, lots of news coming out. I, I think we could start with our biggest takeaways maybe. Uh, I'll, I'll go with mine. For me, it was Beatty and job security. I mean, he was asked about it a number of times, a number of different vessels. Uh, and, you know, he, he didn't run away from those questions. He kind of talked about embracing it and how maybe he's a competitive guy. He's a guy who uh, he, he gets into coaching like, like this is kind of the fun part of coaching, he kind of referred to it, that when you're under pressure, when you're in these tough situations, it's it's what can you really do to kind of like build a team that that surprises everyone. And you know, that, that's been a rallying cry of this KU team for the last, I mean, basically ever since Beatty took over and even before that, that, you know, they're, they're going to have to be underdogs if they're going to have to do anything. So, you know, I'm sure KU fans are pretty much sick of hearing that to an extent. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Beatty specifically said, he's like, we're not running away from anything. We're not, you know, doing whatever. It's, it, you know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to can you win enough games? Can you show enough production? Can you do whatever it takes to keep your job? And, and I thought that was really interesting to hear from him. Yeah, I thought that it was interesting. The first question, I think it was at the main press conference, someone asked him about a win total. And he said, I'll give you the win total at the end of the season. Uh, we're going to try and take it one week at a time. And I understand, you know, throwing out win totals out there is just, you, you can't do that as a head coach just because then all of a sudden there's the pressure to meet that goal that you set. Okay, if Beatty says our goal is to win one game this year, then he's going to get ridiculed for having that goal. But if he says we need our goals to win six games, he's going to get ridiculed because people are going to say, oh, it's not feasible for that to happen. So I thought that that answer to that question was interesting and straightforward. And I, I thought that his stance on the whole thing 
is interesting, but it I mean, it makes sense. He he's not going to sit there and say that oh I'm freaking out because we have the new athletic director or I'm freaking out because we're going on year four now and we haven't gotten over you know multiple wins in a season yet. Uh, I think that in general it's not surprising, but it's it's just a little frustrating, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if you're a fan, you're hearing the same things that you've been hearing. And you can kind of understand why that, that gets a little bit old. Um, I will say I did appreciate that Beatty addressed it because I think in the past, you know, sometimes there, there could be some hesitancy, not, not necessarily with Beatty, but just with coaches in general to, like, deny the idea that they could possibly be on the hot seat. I mean, Dave Beatty's won three games in three years. He is well aware of what the situation is and even said, I understand why you're asking these questions at one point. Um, so I do, I, I do give him credit for that. And no, no, it's funny. You mentioned that question. So he said, we'll know by Christmas or something. And, yeah. you know, I was talking with a couple of reporters at, at kind of the lunch of the event and I was like, what do you, or what do you think he meant by that? Like, do you think he was saying like when they're playing in a bowl game or like, what, like, so fortunately we get to talk to him again. So we went up and asked him like, what do you mean? And he was like, no, I literally just mean like, you want to know about win totals, like talk to me at the end of the year. And I think you, you touched on a point, like if David Beatty says six games, it's not even, I mean, yes, he would get ridiculed for that. But the second part of that maybe is that if they then win five games, which theoretically might be enough for him to keep his job. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, like he set the marker at six. So it's just, it's kind of a lose-lose situation for him, although I will note that multiple players said the goal is to reach bowl eligibility this year, and I found that fascinating. Uh, that includes Khalil Herbert, who is, I, I want to say, or it might have been Keon Kinner, actually, who had said that in the past or something like that, but um, Khalil Herbert said that that KU football's goal this year is to reach a bowl game. Uh, obviously, I think that would be shocking. I, I put this in a story the other day, and I wanted to ask you about this. I, I, I put kind of like a checklist of sorts that like it was in our mailbag that if David Beatty were trying to keep his job like and, and he could build a checklist, what would you start with? And so I gave him four and I said, the first is you got to win two non-conference games. Uh, you got to win at least two big 12 games. Uh, you can't have any embarrassing losses. No, you know, huge blowouts. Um, and you have to win a road game. Those were the four I gave. And then I said, you'd probably have to be competitive in a bunch on top, a bunch of games on top of that. Uh, you'd probably have to have, you know, a pretty solid offense. Like, like there are there are other things that go that that would factor into it. But that would kind of be my checklist. If you told me four realistic things that David Beatty should be pinning to his wall, saying these are the things I need to do, and then I'll feel pretty good about my season. What would maybe be a couple or a few that you would have? Well, I think for me, I'm going to start off with. Uh, I think that there can't be any other off-field issues with you know, whether it be players getting in trouble or even on-field stuff. I think the handshake thing with Baker Mayfield last year really didn't look good on Beatty and the program as a whole. And I don't think that Jeff Long is going to be all for having another on-field issue with something like that where it's, you know, it's easily avoidable. I think a second thing, I like what you said about winning either or winning two non-conference games and two conference games. I think that they need to win all three of their non-conference games and at least one, maybe two big 12 games. You could maybe slide past Baylor or I'm, I really don't know else who's going to be on the bottom end of the big 12 at KU. But I think first of all, you just got to make sure you at least get a big 12 win, win all the non-con games 
and just make sure that there's no shenanigans going on for lack of a better word that detracts from the pure product on the field. And I will say as an honorable mention, I guess I really do like the no embarrassing losses as well. Yeah, I, I think, and, and the last time, by the way, those four criteria were met by a KU team. I went back and looked, uh, were 2007, really 2008, they lost the game by 42 points, even though it was to a really good team. You, you can't lose by like, again, if KU wins four games and has a couple 40 point losses on it, it's not going to look like, you know, signs of, of progress at all. So uh, I think that's a good starting point. What, what were kind of maybe, what was your number one takeaway from Big 12 Media Day? I think for me, it was just the players standing up for Beatty. Uh, I want to read a quote to you from Daniel Wise. Uh, he said, quote, we take a huge amount of responsibility. We want to work hard week in and week out. We want to be able to win for guys like Coach Beatty who has taught us a lot about the game, who has been a great leader to us. Having a guy like that around is huge for the program. It's huge for us individually as players, and we work our hardest, and we sweat our butts off for him. I thought that that was interesting, and it, it makes sense when you really do think about it. Beatty has been with these guys for four years. They've seen every, all the stuff that he has gone through as the coach, whether it be now the new athletic director, the winless season, winning against Texas. They've been through so many highs and lows with him that it isn't surprising, but yet it is surprising to the degree that they went to stand up for him at Big 12 Media Day where there are so many outlets. They're covering it. I thought that that was just really interesting. Yeah, you know, I asked a couple of the seniors, like, how much responsibility do you put on yourself for his job? And and I wasn't really sure what they were going to say because when you think about it, there's there's a number of ways you can answer that question. You can say, you know, I, I don't really think about that or, or – you can take the approach of like, yeah, I mean, we, we take responsibility for everything, you know, whatever. But I, I thought it was interesting that both he and Joe Deneen were, were willing to kind of directly address the idea that David Beatty, you know, not being on the hot seat, they didn't directly address that, but the idea that if they don't perform well, their coach could very well be fired and it wouldn't necessarily be their fault. I, I think you would argue uh, it would very much not be their fault, but you know, at the same time, it, it's, it, it was interesting to me how much they are embracing that. So, so I, I do like that takeaway. I, I wrote, obviously, about that. We wrote a lot of things from, from Big 12 Media Day. If you haven't seen, if you're a VIP member, uh, you can actually check out our, our Sports Bar VIP uh, premium board. Uh, on there is kind of, I think, nine of the stories are, are linked in a thread, so you can kind of check those all out there. Uh, but no, I, I do think the players are, are putting them that a lot on themselves. And there are coaches who, when they are not winning, their team quits on them. Mm -hmm. Or their team does not respect them. And, you know, some theorize that after the OU events that not that David Beatty maybe has lost control of the team, but like the fact that the players were willing to do something like that on the fly and not fear consequence when they were doing it. Like, what does that say about their coach? I think at least the comments from the leadership of the defense, because that's who really spoke about this, would seem to indicate that, you know, KU. And the key players haven't quit on David Beatty, that his message is, is it's still in there. Even though they took a massive step back in competitiveness, the message is still resonating with people. And I tell you what, something like that is what lets you kind of stay through the entire season or, or you know, maybe even all the way to signing day if KU likes the progress that's going to be made in recruiting. I don't think it'll be a toxic, you know, something where you're three games in and you're like, let's say David Beatty were one and two and you, you probably knew you weren't going to keep him back. Uh, I'm not sure it'd be something where you would have to rush to get him out of there, you know, for fear of the culture, unless you really thought you had the candidate for the next coach on staff. 
Uh, but at the same time, I think this fan base would be uh, uh, pretty annoyed if the next KU football coach came from the current coaching staff, just given that mm. uh, I think the fan base is very much ready to see someone new come in. Not to say there isn't aren't qualified people, because I think there are a lot of interesting candidates. I think it, all the way down the, the KU football roster, like interim coaches, I think I'm sure KU fans wouldn't want to see Clint Bowen do it again, even though he did do it, and they nearly won two games in, in doing it, which was two Big 12 games. They won one, uh, so that was pretty solid. Tony Hull is a guy uh, who I think would be really interesting. I, I I would even say, you know, Garrett Riley is 28 years old. He's definitely probably not ready to be a coach, but for four games, stick him in that interim role and just see what he does, The the like a crazy promotion and – you know, OU, I mean, they, they've got Lincoln Riley, who's in his 30s. And, and you know, I actually talked to to Lincoln about Garrett, and he, he insists they're not that different. You know, they're they're really similar. And again, I'm not advising that Garrett Riley, if David Beatty were to get fired, should be the, you know, the next KU football coach, because obviously he's 28 years old and he's only, you know, held a few assistant positions. But that, that would be the scenario you'd be looking at to fire a coach in season. It'd either be, you know, there's a toxic message coming from the head coach, or, you know, maybe you think your candidate is out there that you want, but at the same time, you know, you don't really know which candidates are going to emerge after the season. So it can it can do as much harm as good, you know, or, or as much harm, yeah, as good as it can, you know, firing a coach early. So it'll be an interesting decision. I don't know. But, but definitely, I, I think that was a main takeaway. Beatty talked a little bit about Jeff Long, too. Uh, he, he had mentioned they still have not met because Jeff Long is now on vacation. Beatty was previously on vacation, and, and Jeff Long urged him to stay there. You know, uh, a lot of talk has been like, if I'm David Beatty, I'm doing everything I can to get back and, and you know, be there for the AD. And Bill Self was, you know, at, I, I think he was at Peach Jam later that day, maybe. He went, to, uh, he, he went to the press conference and then literally flew out to go to Peach Jam. And it's like, you know, why didn't David Beatty do that? Jeff Long very, very much urged him to stay there. And Jeff Long's not the type of guy, like, David Beatty showing up at that press conference or not will not, like, make or break what happens with him and Jeff Long. Exactly. Jeff Long is very well-respected, uh, very measured, very uh, uh, kind of calm, cool, collected guy who's going to take the approach with the football program. He's going to get in there, see what they're doing. He's been around football coaches who have been successful. He's going to assess if it's working, and then he's going to let David Beatty have a football season and and see what happens. And if David Beatty really, you know, is good enough to to turn the thing around, then he'll stick with him. And if he thinks he's not, he won't. Um, one last comment, and then I'll, I'll throw it back to you for thoughts on any of this. Ben Goodman, former KU uh, football player, said in an athletic interview he thought David Beatty should get five years uh, because the first two weren't his fault. And I, I found that comment really interesting. I'll, I'll, st- I'll stop there and flip it to you uh, just for your thoughts on any of that before I kind of chime in a little bit more. Okay, so let's start right there where you finished. It, I understand that uh, that point of view where you say the first two years weren't his fault, but he's still coaching the team. Like It doesn't matter that the scholarship numbers were bad. You know, He's still the one that's you know, coaching him and trying to get these players to be successful. I, I don't buy into that. As for the Jeff Long and David Beatty relationship, I don't buy into that either. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal that he didn't go to the press conference. Bill Self, that's awesome that he did that. But as you said, it's not going to change Jeff's mind on what he thinks of Bill compared to David Beatty. Like, it doesn't change anything. And just like how now he is on vacation, you know, Jeff 
you know, he understands that this is baby's time and he can spend the time with the family and they'll get reacquainted whenever that time is, whenever they both get back from their vacations. I just, I personally don't like reading into that type of thing. I think that's stretching it just a little bit. Yeah, and I would agree with you. As for Ben Goodman's comments, I thought they were interesting. I do disagree with them and obviously respect his opinion, especially mm-hmm. as someone who was in the Cape football program. You know, David Beatty, when he said he said at Media Day, really addressed this number. He's addressed it before, but never fully, that KU was down as low as 28 scholarships after spring. So that's after all the departures, you know, people who would leave the team. His first recruiting class brought in like 25 more. So then you were up to kind of 50-plus scholarship players. So it, it the 28 number is like scary, but it's like that's not you, – you still have a recruiting class after that. So yeah. you bring in 20-plus more people on scholarship. So KU was never down to even less than like – you know, maybe 40 players might have been the lowest it got before Beatty. And Beatty has probably consistently been at the 50 or above mark, which is still not great by mm-hmm. any means. He said they're hoping to approach 70 this year. Uh, 85 is, I believe, the maximum you can yep. get. Why I disagree with his comments specifically about that uh, are because year two, as as I think we've talked about and as has been discussed, KU football won two games. Yep. They were competitive in two more, or they should have won two more, and they were competitive in another probably three games after that. Should have beat TCU, should have beat Iowa State, uh, and they were competitive against Oklahoma State, Ohio, Kansas State. So right there, that's... Five games they were at least very competitive in uh, at worst, and two games they won. The next year, they were competitive in one game. They lost to Ohio by 12 points, so people have said, like, wasn't that competitive? Like, KU scored a touchdown at the buzzer in that game. With one second left, they trailed by 18 points. So, no, that game wasn't competitive. Kansas State got, I think, within a score in the second half, but KU football never had the ball, I believe, with the chance to take the lead. So, how competitive is that game ever when you're like hoping that maybe they could tie the game, you know, like that, that. So at at best, you know, after being at worst competitive in uh, seven games at best, the next year they were competitive in two or three. And that's if you're giving them all the leeway in the world. So when you take a step backward like that in year three, that's when I, I don't really buy the idea that like, well, the first two years just shouldn't count, and then you start over in year three. If the first two years, as I wrote, were a bloodbath, and it was like two winless seasons and not even close, or maybe one win and like everything else is a 40-point loss, then yeah, I think you can make that argument that like, just throw those away year three. But if year three is behind year two, and mm-hmm. if year four is behind year two, because KU could win three games this next year, but if they're not competitive in a bunch of games, then I'm not convinced that would be more progress than year two. If years three and four are behind that year two, I, I don't know how you can justify that. So uh, when I read that comment, I understood maybe it's a guy sticking up for for the KU football coach and the program and whatnot. But like I said, that that wasn't really that that wasn't really something that resonated with me. I did I did find the scholarship numbers kind of interesting. Beatty did say they were down to 28 after the spring. I think they started the spring with just under 40. Uh, And obviously we also touched on the players feeling responsible for him. As you might hear some background noise, I'm in my house and I have several dogs. So I apologize if you're, uh, if that's coming across on the podcast, I may try and edit around it. But uh, any other topics with David Beatty before we maybe move on to some of the other things that happened during media day? I don't. I think that 
I think just in general this season, I think Beatty is just a sitting duck. I think that, or a lame duck, whatever the saying is. I think that last year just says everything. You can't go in year two beating Texas and being competitive to year three when those guys get older and better and be worse off. Yeah, you lost guys like Fish Smithson, Fish Smithson and other guys like that, but still, I just it's it's inexcusable to go back after a positive step forward in year two. Yeah, well, and, and obviously some losses on the secondary too. For what it's worth, Beatty did say this year's team he feels like has a lot of seniors, so he feels like they should be good. The flip side of that coin is if you win three games this year, are you expecting to win more after losing you know twenty seniors? I, I think especially with only two players committed right now in the class. So uh, one comment Beatty made at his introductory press conference, this isn't really about him, but that uh, he, he wants the quarterback situation to be handled a lot quicker. He wants to get down to two quarterbacks and, and then get down to one. He didn't really give an answer about what changed in his mindset. But, but what do you think about that? The last two years, the quarterback battle has gone up until game one. Uh, honestly, two years ago, it went past game one. Ryan, Ryan Willis and Montel Cozart. Uh, were doing like every two drives they would switch off in games. And and obviously last year it didn't even get announced until about an hour before the first game. So what what do you think about the idea that KU could name its starting quarterback a little bit earlier this year? I am all for that. I am very much a no-nonsense type of person. I, I don't like the stuff looming. So when you have – you're going through training camp and all of this off-season stuff and you don't know who the quarterback is, that means – you know, Khalil Herbert doesn't know who the quarterback is. You know, the whole wide receiving core doesn't know who the quarterback is. Like, it's it adds to the suspense of the season starting, and I'm just not a fan of it. So I'm all for naming one as soon as possible, honestly. And I think that it's interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on this too. He said he's going to nail it down to two and then down to one. Who do you think the two are going to be? Do you think it's going to be Kendrick and Bender, Kendrick and Stanley, Stanley and Bender? Who do you think is going to be the final two at least? Or he, yeah. is, he going to, is he going to tell us? That That's another part of it. We still may not know, uh, although last year we found out uh, at the Lawrence Journal World, we reported early that it was going to be Peyton Bender, like maybe a few days in advance because it was so obviously, you know, the competition was so obviously heading that way, in part because Carter Stanley had a hand injury that KU didn't acknowledge. But uh, I, I think... If it gets cut down to two, that probably doesn't bode super well for Miles Kendrick, mm-hmm. given what we've seen of him, is that he's by far the worst thrower of the three. At the same time, I could see David Beatty doing something like, look, Peyton Bender and Carter Stanley were the two quarterbacks last year. You're not both in the cut. Like, one of you needs to, one of you is better than the other one yeah. to what we've seen, which is not a ton. So, again, you know, just trying to to let you guys know, we we get to go to, usually the beginnings of about one practice a week, usually about 15, 20 minutes, something like that. So, and obviously the spring game too. So I can only speak on what I've seen and I can only speak of what the players have said. And the players have done a good job kind of keeping things quiet on the quarterback competition and and maybe talking about how even it is. So really going off what I've seen, Peyton Bender is still going to be the best quarterback of the three in terms of arm. Um, He may not be the best fit for the air raid, especially with decision-making. That that may be where it really hurts him, but Carter Stanley is kind of more, he, he's definitely mobile. He's really tough. I'd consider him not a running quarterback, but not even an option quarterback, but but definitely a very mobile quarterback. 
but he's not as good of a thrower. And then I think Kendrick is probably a little bit more mobile than uh, Stanley, definitely more mobile than Bender, but probably with a worse arm than the two of them based off what we've seen. It's possible he's a gamer. You know, once he gets into the games, all of a sudden things change. And it's possible a running quarterback could be better for KU. Uh, So I I don't know. If it were me, I would want to sort it out first between Stanley and Bender because Carter Stanley to me seems like the type of quarterback that you can put in. Like if if you're Alabama football, you don't need a spectacular quarterback. You need a guy who's going to be good at, at a little bit of everything and like just don't make any mistakes. I don't think that flies with KU football. I think you either need the best arm out there or you just need the most talented all-around guy. And so I, I guess if it were me, I would cut it down to Beatty and Ken or to uh to Bender and Kendrick. And then I would say go for it, you know. But I, I think we also have to see what Carter Stanley does with kind of a healthy offseason, healthy fall camp, and, and being healthy going into the season, because it's possible, you know, that he he takes a, a, a big jump forward too. So um you know, I, I think I've predicted as in the spring, I predicted Bender would be the starter. Um, you know, we'll learn a lot more as fall camp starts, and we'll be able to tell you a lot more about that. But it wouldn't shock me if it were either Bender or Kendrick. I'd be a little bit surprised to this point if it were Carter Stanley. He had that good game against Kansas mm-hmm. State. But at the same time, I mean, worse than 50% completion percentage in that game. The KU offense only put up 20 points. So it's great to total, you know, 400-whatever yards but your offense scores 20 points against one of the worst defenses in the Big 12. That's not a great performance. It's, you know, you're passing in between the 20 and the 20. Congratulations. If it's not turning into points, you're not doing anything. So um, I think that that's where I kind of see the quarterback competition shaking out. Um, where, where are you kind of at with it, and who do you expect to emerge? I... I kind of feel the same way as you do, where it's you got to either choose basically the most talented or the best arm. I think that that is what you have to do. I, I honestly want to see Carter Stanley play with the full, you know, fully healthy off season and all that. I think that he offers that another dimension that Bender really doesn't where he can kind of scramble. Sure. And we don't know what the KU offensive line is going to look like. It could, it could be, you know, god awful like it was at times last year. It could be really good like it was when they had Mesa Ribery, but he's gone now. But I think that it all revolves around the offensive line and what happens there, honestly. Because if all of a sudden it looks like it did against TCU, where Peyton Bender has literally like half a second to throw the ball until he has guys on him, then you may have to go with a Kendrick or a, a Carter Stanley who can move around and get out of that those situations. But if the offensive line is in good shape and they are protecting the quarterback well, then I think you should have Peyton Bender because he threw the ball incredibly well through the first three games last year. He, you know, he's shown that he can do it. It's just when the offensive line wasn't there, it really, really mitigated what he could do. Yeah, one one of the fastest, if not the fastest, quarterbacks to a thousand yards in, in KU football history. So yeah, Bender's got arm talent. I think it's every. I think it's the fit in the air raid and the decision yep. making. But it's interesting to hear that KU may be a bit more of a running team. Obviously, they have Kez Flomo, uh, Khalil Herbert, and Puka Williams kind of as their maybe three main running backs. They've got some other names too, like guys like Dom Williams. So uh, there, there's a lot of talent in Duran Thompson too. There's a lot of talent in that KU backfield yep. actually. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they embrace a more running approach. One last topic to get through real quick. Uh, four players not on the roster. Uh, we reported when the roster came out that they hadn't been there. I reached out to KU to kind of get some explanations. Taylor Martin, Kenyon Tabor, Jacob Bragg, and Quinn, uh, Quillen. 
Uh, Taylor Martins, we'll, we'll do Bragg and, and Tabor first. The two of those are health-related. Uh, obviously a back issue for Kenyon, and he's going to stay involved with the KU football program. David Beatty told me that he's going to be working kind of on the marketing side with photography, media side, communications. We actually saw Montel Cozart intern there, so I think it's pretty cool that he gets to stay involved with the program, even though obviously his back is going to prevent him from being a football player. Uh, this was a guy who was a three-star recruit, top 15 player coming out of Kansas, uh, top 15 in the state of Kansas, not coming out, you know, in the country, but but coming out of Kansas. And uh, definitely had a bright future, but, you know, obviously now he'll be doing it kind of differently. Brag a health issue as well. Taylor Martin yeah. is kind of interesting uh, because he was on the spring roster and Beatty basically said that he didn't get kicked off the team. He actually specifically said he certainly did not get kicked off our team. So he wanted to make that very clear. He said it's a family issue for him. He's from the Fort Worth area. And Beatty said he wants to go back there or, or that that was the right thing for Taylor Martin to do. How he phrased it, may it may have been something where Taylor Martin wanted to stick around but really was needed back there. Or maybe even, you know, Taylor Martin wanted to make it clear to KU that, like, I want to be here, but I need to go there. But David Beatty just said he wanted to make it clear. He's like, I hope it doesn't end his football career. I hope he gets the chance to keep playing. Uh, so, you know, really we're not sure. And, and hopefully we'll learn more about that if Taylor Martin decides that, uh, you know, he would like to, to kind of share his story and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that pretty much I think wraps it up from Big 12 Media Day. Anything else you want to get to before – we get out of here. I really quickly just want to talk about Martin and his production last year and what him leaving means. I wrote, I did some numbers stuff that I kind of want to bring up because I thought it was interesting. Last year, Martin had 90 carries for 286 yards. He was responsible for 23% of the carries KU had and 17% of the yards KU had. Where now we have Khalil Herbert, who I'm just putting this in perspective, who had 120 carries for 663 yards responsible 30% of the carries, 41% of the yards. I think the loss of Martin really is going to be mitigated by Puka Williams. I think that it would make sense for the numbers here for Williams to get 90-some-odd carries, maybe get to 100. It depends on how the other running backs fare and injuries and all that stuff. But I think that the loss of Martin really opens up an opportunity for Williams. He's going to get more touches now. And Beatty had talked about not overworking him because he is a, a true freshman. But I, what are your thoughts on the loss of it? Do you think it's a – not that it's a good thing for the team, but do you think it presents a new opportunity for other guys? Yeah, I, I obviously want to be respectful into the situation, but like just to be very, very, very blunt, I would call it almost addition by subtraction uh-huh. because I do think that – I don't think he would have been KU's top three running backs. I think he's a he's very fast. Taylor Martin might have been the fastest running back on the team. He also might have been patient. He was definitely the most patient. I would argue patient to a fault. You know, he he's a guy it, – it, it'd be like if you put a uh, a step counter on his arm when he played running back, he would, to go, you know, the same amount of yards on a run, ring up, exponentially more steps than anyone else because he'd be, you know, his first step would be sideways. Then he'd come back, you know, like he'd, you know, plant both feet, take a second. And that, that just wasn't working. And I think his yards per carry were pretty low. I mean, he should have been a boomer bust type back given his speed. And instead, I think he was averaging something like, did you happen to have his yards per carry number? It wasn't good. Um, here, give me. No, it was, it was a low number for a, for again, a boomer bust back because this isn't a guy who's, you know, your feet in 25 times and he's getting two yards, three yards, four. I mean, it's it's a running back in the air raid. You want him breaking off kind of these long runs and 
and I, I don't think he has that capability in him. Mm-hmm. You're right about Puka Williams. Beatty, Beatty did say that um, definitely not overworking him. I asked him, I was like, is it kind of similar to uh, Laquiviante Gonzalez? We coached, uh, you know, at KU in his second year. He Gonzalez sat out his first year transferring in from uh, A&M. And Beatty's like, not even, because they didn't want to overwork Quiv, but Quiv was a junior. Like, this guy is a, is a true freshman, and... Beatty says he does think he that uh that Puka Williams can play running back, which is good because there was some thought, you know, is he going to be a is he going to be a wide receiver? Is he going to be a running back? Whatever, is he going to qualify? Beatty said that he is going to help the team out as a running back year one. He's got the strength to do it, um, and, and I think it'll be really interesting to watch him. And then Key was a short yardage back and Kez Flomo too. That, like I said, I, I don't think that's an element Taylor Martin was capable of giving them. So that's kind of where I see the KU running backs and. Uh, if with the uh, can you can you hear the barking in the background? Yeah, just a little bit, but you know, hey, it adds some authenticity to this. It's color. It's it's color. I, I think with the dogs barking, that might be our cue to to get out of here. Maybe with the music playing under my words, that uh, you won't be able to hear it as much. But thanks so much for joining us, uh, Fog.net podcast. Uh, we will talk to you guys again next week. Maybe some more basketball recruiting topics coming. I might want to dive in and explore that a little bit more. So. Uh, Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out Kansas.247sports.com for all your KU coverage, and we will talk to you next week.